Hello and welcome to the first extended interview of the Carbon Neutral Lens series. We will be back next week with a full episode with myself and Eleanor. So in the absence of a full episode, we're going to share the full interview that I did with Claire Watson that featured in episode one. Claire has written a great blog called ChasingHubcaps.com relating to engagement uh, in climate action and is also completing a PhD in UCC in that area. And it was great to have a chat with her and get some insight and expertise from her. And the interview starts off with Claire explaining a bit about her environmental background. Well, I suppose my background goes right back to to when I was born. I was born on an organic farm at a time really when people didn't know what organic was. So I was kind of weaned on environmental rhetoric. My parents were very involved in local environmental groups in Cork. And then when I went to college, I got involved in stuff and I ended up working a lot on local campaigns. So I was involved in, um, I worked with Greenpeace and I was involved in an anti-incineration group and in a local group in Cork and across the board really over the years. And I began to realize probably in the early, kind of the late 1990s that um, the issue of climate change was becoming more important. And I was kind of shocked at myself, actually, initially, that I hadn't taken it more seriously, because within the environmental movement, there had been a fair bit of talk about it, um, but I hadn't really taken it on board. So my partner and I, at the time, we decided that we'd, rather than kind of running around talking about it, we'd try and kind of live the low-carbon life. So we moved to West Cork in about 1999, and we built a straw bale house, and we powered it with a wind generator and solar panels. And we had a wood-burning stove inside. And then we tried to grow as much of our own food as possible. Um, So the idea was to be as self-sufficient and as low-carbon as we could be. Obviously, we we found our accolades heel really was driving. Because we were so remote, we found that we drove a lot. So we did um, get an electric car, one of the early versions. And obviously, the range wasn't very far. So we had to have two cars. We had a a Prius. We bought a Prius um, hybrid, and we had an electric car. Um, since then, I've I've moved because we separated, and I have moved to an easier lifestyle. Really, I retrofitted a a ten year old bungalow, um, and it, so it isn't so close to the earth, and I'm not no longer growing my own vegetables. But I went back to college because initially I had been wondering why people, why weren't they getting it? You know, we seem to be kind of switched on to the environmental messages and to the concerns around climate change, what was wrong with everyone else. So while I was living on the farm, I did a a bit of kind of research on my own. And the the result of that is this blog called Chasing Hubcaps, which which you've read. Yeah. And it's just to say, I suppose it's been it's been very, very helpful for us and for me to kind of get my head around it. I mean, it really came from a place of my own kind of frustration initially saying, look, we're banging on about climate change and we're talking to people and we're doing stuff locally. And at the time, we had been involved in the local um, uh, country farmers uh, show in Bantry, and we we had an energy tent, and my ex-partner went up for election for the Green Party, and we showed the inconvenient truth locally at a number of venues as part of his campaign. And we just felt we weren't gaining traction with people, and we were organizing kind of tours of our house and of, of our life, and only the converted were turning up. So I was thinking, what is wrong with everyone else? And then when I started reading into it, it was quite interesting because I turned my head around 
And I started asking myself the question is, why don't I understand how the rest of the world thinks? And I think that is such a good perspective, I think, to come from. And it's also, you know, I think once you decide to get involved, it is everyone identifies with that kind of frustration um, of of just looking around and people not being aware and people not being tuned in and you kind of think that it's either a lack of awareness or apathy but i think after reading after reading chasinghubcaps.com there's actually a lot more going on than that isn't there um so yeah and i think it it, it kind of behooves us to try and understand it rather than to judge people because i think uh, a problem in the past particularly in the environmental movement and myself included we were out there banging the drum and trying to make people care about things and trying to maybe shame them into it, make them feel guilty. Um, the messaging was often fear-driven. You know, if, if you don't do something now, this is what's going to happen. The apocalypse will, will be down on all of us. And I learned fairly quickly that negative messaging, for instance, doesn't work. So if we tell people how bad it's going to get in the future, it's very hard, firstly, for people to kind of anticipate how that will be if it's going to be in the future but also if you don't quite understand how it will pan out so fear messaging works if you say to someone listen there's a hole in the road um don't walk into it and i will think oh my god that's disaster because i know what will happen if i walk into it i'll fall down the, the big hole and hurt myself um so the fear message will work with me then because i know exactly what would happen if i didn't um if, if, if i didn't take care Whereas with climate change, it's very uncertain that, you know, how it will actually pan out for me in my own life. It's uncertain how the weather will actually, um, you know, how the, the, the weather changes will, will impact on me. And it does seem, unfortunately, still to a lot of people that it's going to happen way in the future, which, of course, is not the case because we're already seeing some, some weather changes. Um, but if people feel it's uncertain or it's in the future, it's much easier to discount it. It's called discounting the future. Um, and people are very averse to kind of risks that they don't understand or that they can't see the implications of. Um, Absolutely, yeah. I think um, I think that it is. It's such an abstract problem that people just really, really struggle to engage with. And it's very, it's very big as well. So, I mean, when you hear people talking about it, it's global the implications of, of globally are huge and people talk about massive things like drought or huge storms. And um, I think that the, a psychological reaction to something that's so apocalyptic is, as you said earlier, it is apathy for some people. It's denial for others. Or for a lot of us, it's just, oh, my God, like, what can I do if it's such a big problem? Me turning off my light switch isn't really going to do much good. So you kind kind of get lost in the enormity of it. Yeah, and we, yeah, we were we were discussing some of that about kind of how overwhelming it can be. And something else from from your your blog is um, it refers to how when you do get to a situation like that, you can either take a sort of situation based approach and deal with the situation, or you can just say this is incredibly stressful, so I'm just going to get rid of the stress by forgetting about it. That's right. And I think for a lot of people, they already have other stresses in their lives, you know. So coming in and saying, listen, you really have to put climate change front of your life isn't going to cut it for people who are struggling maybe with poverty 
or they have family ill health or there's something else going on or they're just finding the day-to-day pressures are quite intense, you know, because we all live fairly busy lives at the moment. So it's somehow, the, the challenge, I think, is to find ways into that that don't turn people off, you know, and and, and that is a challenge because um, I, I've since, after doing the, the Chasing Hubs uh, blog, I then ended up um, going into UCC and doing a PhD, so I'm just finishing that off at the moment. And I think what I've, I've kind of delved deeper into the whole issue and I've, I've learned that um, there's no point in focusing on people individually. So we've, we've tried that and we've tried it with television campaigns, the power of one, the change campaign. There's a, there's a lot of kind of um, individual or small initiatives that have been focusing on people individually, like the, the 10 things you can do approach. This is what you can do and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the theory now is looking at how you work with people together, working with people collectively, because most of us are very influenced by what our peers and our friends and our social network network is doing. And we're also very much, even though we don't admit it, we're influenced by social norms. So if something is done by everyone, we kind of follow through. Yeah, I think people are very influenced and we don't realize how influenced we are by by other people. Um, something I heard in Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast, he talks about Granovetter's threshold model of collective behavior. And basically, people just have a number of other a number of other people that they need to see doing something before they'll do it themselves. So we don't like to think that we're that simple, but actually... Um, yeah. I mean, I had an interesting example recently. I went to the paint shop. To, I was looking for a, some paint for the outside of my house. And I went in thinking now, God, what would be an unusual color to, to pick? You know, so I had that in my head. And someone else came in and she asked the guy behind the counter. She said, listen, what's popular now? And he said, he showed us some paint colors. And he said, look, that one is really popular. And she said, I'll have that one. And then I realized that, you know, we're not all the same and we're influenced in different ways, whereas I would be influenced by my peers who are all a bit quirky. And so I know that they would say, geez, that's a lovely color, Claire. That's really unusual, you know, whereas the other woman was, was obviously wanting to be the same as her friends and everyone else in the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we can't, we can't be sure. But also maybe I'm not admitting in a funny way around some things how social norms do affect me. But one thing I find interesting is that we are we do have different mindsets and worldviews. So I'm not sure if we come in with them or whether that's influenced by our social upbringing or whatever. So when you're talking to someone about acting on climate change, you maybe have to filter how you say it or how you approach it to, with people, depending on, on what um, mindset they have or what worldview they have. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's, you know, I think the sort of th- the hope that I get from, you know, from these theories about how, how conformed you are to social norms is that in a way it kind of just takes, a f- it feels like it just takes a few people to, to make everyone yeah, else realise. Quite, quite quickly, actually. I mean, I'm surprised. I'm sure you've come across the, the rise in veganism over the last year. Um, and the supermarkets are actually registering it at the moment and restaurants saying that they're getting a lot more inquiries and vegan food is being bought in a higher percentage than it was a year ago. So it seems like there's something rippling on that front, and I think it's probably been led by young people, um, and it may be reflecting people's concerns 
about climate change, you know, and, and eating meat. Yeah, and and I think you know my great I'm quite I'm still quite optimistic about everything, and my you know my great hope is that there are you know I think there are a kind of silent majority of people out there that want to do something and don't know what to do, and that they just need a you know they just need a push or they just need a spark, and I think you know uh, I think that's the hope that comes from those theories about people about you know that climate action might hopefully become the new norm sooner rather than yes, later, and I think this whole thing about diffusion you know initially climate change was only being talked about by environmentalists and, and, and other people who were, who were switched on it was very much in in um, in a bubble i used to call it the climate bubble but it's becoming much more mainstream now you hear it being talked about a lot more through the media and in people's general conversation you know i think there's, there's definitely a shift happening and what is helping us in ireland is possibly because we've been such, as the government says, such laggards on the whole climate issue. Um, it, there is huge pressure on us to, to step up to the mark. And we're, are we the worst or the second worst in Europe in terms of performance? And we're coming to the point where we're going to have to start paying fines by yeah, 2020 is... because we're not meeting targets. So that's really focusing policymakers' minds. And I see it actually through my work in UCC. There's definitely a shift happening trying to get different agencies and different um, government departments and the politicians to come up to yeah, step hopefully, up place. Hopefully they follow hopefully they follow through. Like you know it'll be Yeah, it'll be, I mean there's a yeah. joint Erasmus committee looking at the um, uh, recommendations that were made by the citizens assembly when they met. You know, they had two weekends um, last year discussing climate change. And they made some very radical um, recommendations in terms of eighty percent of them straight out said, Yeah, we'd go for a carbon tax. And that was after they got the, the information and they were really given time to discuss and to deliberate and, with each other. And just you can, know, you, can you clarify, because I, I, it's something I've meant to look up and I haven't. Is, were they sort of like, a, they were, were they a representative sample of the, of yes, the whole yeah, yeah, they, Irish they population? Were, yep, they were picked by a polling company scientifically. They went door to door and they picked every fifth door and they asked people to participate. Now, people had the option to say no. Yeah, but it so was as does, scientific as yeah. it was possible, you know, so yeah, that yeah, they were yeah. they were picking people out of the blue, but they were trying to get a demographic spread across the country, a good age spread. So they really were trying to get a good representative sample of, of the country. Yeah, I think that is just when you when you think about how, I guess, education and the media has really dropped the ball, you know, uh, that I, that really highlights it for me. You know, the fact that once people were educated, yeah. that all these incredibly radical you, yeah. you know, or relatively radical, radical for our, by Irish standards, uh, yeah. proposals were put forward. Yes, and I've since heard one or two of them being interviewed on EcoEye, the, the t- Duncan Stewart's TV programme, and um, they were saying that before they went into that process, they hadn't a clue or they hadn't switched on at all, and now they're switched on. Yeah. So it is, it is, and the hope from that is that actually if you approach people in the right way, despite all their past kind of thinking or their mindset or whatever, you know, you can get them on board. There's, there's no doubt about that. One thing I say to people is that we need to um, <clears throat> talk, we need to mention climate change in our conversation. I think that's kind of the main focus of our first episode, to be honest. It's actually a quote from, from Chasing Hope Caps again, uh, where you say Sharon Dunwoody refers to research which demonstrated that the best predictor of behaviour change is not seeing a public service announcement on late night television, but talking yeah. to someone. Yeah, yeah. 
And you don't have to go on ad nauseum about the negative implications of climate change or how it's going to be so awful. It just has to come into the conversation. And then you start telling people what you're doing about it yourself. Because um, there's something very powerful of someone just saying, look, I'm concerned about this and this is what I'm doing. And you don't have to say, and you must do it now yourself. And if you don't, there'll be this or there'll be that. There's something about just modeling. Um, you know, this is what I'm doing, and there we go. And then if your friend respects you, or you're, the person you're talking to knows that you're a reliable character within their social sphere, um, they will, may well be influenced, and they will then start asking you questions, or they may down the line then do what you're doing, you know. They, they, there's, an, there's an interesting thing that has happened over the years, and it's called... Um, cultural silence around climate change and there's there was a a researcher she went to Norway in the early um, 2000s and she was in a particular community for about a year and she chose the community because they had had suffered the consequences of a couple of very warm seasons so they weren't getting proper snowfall and they relied on skiing um, you know for their income so she presumed when she went over there that she would actually find that they were really concerned about climate change and were really keen to do something. But actually she found the opposite. She she found it very hard to get them to even talk about about climate change. And um, her conclusion was that there was this climate silence, this cultural silence around it. And she equated it to the maybe cultural silence that the, the white uh, people in South Africa would have had about apartheid. If it's such a big issue, it's on your doorstep, you kind of know it's a big problem. It's, it's easier not to talk about it and just to pretend it's not there. Yeah, and I think I think it's kind of a natural reaction as well. You know, it's an acceptable reaction. It comes back to how things are overwhelming and that it's just yeah. easier. Yeah. But, but if we could try and maybe bring it back into the language and have it become something that we're all talking about and then trying to deal with you know rather than making it something that's way out there and is totally inaccessible to people people really want to know that if they do something that it's going to be effective that's the other thing yeah i suppose that's kind of why you know that's kind of where idea or idea for for carbon neutral lent came from is that you know you can get advice about how the best thing to you know the best thing to do is go vegan or 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 such and such but i guess what we're trying to do is actually see you know, is actually see, okay, I went vegan and I cut down my emissions this much. And and it's just to have that sense of control. Yeah, yeah. And also to understand the difficulties around doing it, you know, because going vegan is actually quite hard, especially if you're, if you're not vegetarian already. Um, so it's interesting for people to experience the challenges that they, they may have as, as they go forward with, with an action and, and not to maybe... Um, not to, to presume that it will happen overnight. So for a lot of people, they may have to do it in stages. You know, okay, I'll take meat off my menu once a week, and then I'll cut it down to two, I'll have it without it two days a week, so I'll experiment with more vegetarian cooking, and then work their way down towards, or up towards becoming vegan, but not to expect it to happen over tonight, over, over too quickly, you know. I mean, it'll be interesting to, to see. Are you guys planning to be vegan for, the, for, the, for Lent? Um, I mean, we're both we're both vegetarian. I'm, you know, I'm vegetarian most of the time. Uh, if I'm yeah. out, I might eat meat, or you know, um, a flexitarian, I guess, um, and as vegan as I can be. So I think you know, once we once we have the data in front of us, it will kind of make it very apparent 
um yeah. which yeah. which will be great to see um yeah. just to finish up claire um i suppose you have a, a huge wealth of knowledge on you know running effective campaigns and and why why campaigns might fail so do you have any advice for us going forward with this carbon neutral lent campaign to make sure we have as big an impact as possible well i mean i would try and circulate what you're doing to as many people as possible and and using peer groups you know so you get people to send it on to their friends and that's very easy through social media really isn't it to let let people know what you're doing but i would also say and i know you're voluntary on it but it's always good to follow on short-term campaigns with with something else you know yeah. if there is if the, if you could think of phase two, um, because it definitely, with, with certainly something like climate action, you need to keep plugging away with people. Um, so you, you won't necessarily find that you're able to convert people after, you know, o- over the 40 days. You know, it would be nice if you could continue on with your blog in some way. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I suspect you build up a little community of followers, you know, yeah it's all it's, yeah it's all it's all quite homemade and quite and quite organic but uh but yeah the plan is hopefully to keep it to keep it going i think somewhat some and, s- and don't berate yourself if you um if you find it tough or um and congratulate congratulate yourself on what you're doing you know because it's brilliant i mean it's really good when people um step up step forward and t- and take action you know it's it's very important. So I, th- I think you're great, and good luck with it. <laughs> Thanks very much. And if there's anything I can do, do, do contact me. <laughs> great, brilliant. Thanks a million. I think that was Claire Watson there, and a huge thank you to Claire for chatting to me a few weeks ago. Um, it was definitely a great source of insight and motivation. We will be back with a full episode next week. In the meantime, feel free to check us out on social media at facebook.com forward slash carbon neutral lent, instagram.com forward slash carbon neutral lent, and twitter.com forward slash enviro lent. Thank you very much.